Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. You may be seated. One of my first mission trips was in 1995. We were heading out to China. A friend of mine was saying goodbye to his wife. They'd been married maybe, maybe a year at most. And one of our team members turned to him and said, she was an older lady, she shared with him an old Chinese proverb. I don't know if it's a Chinese proverb or not, but that's what she said. And she said, a short separation is better than a long honeymoon. So we're thinking about that as we're going on a mission trip. And I remember him telling me that that's true. You know, a short separation is indeed better than a long honeymoon. And it is good to get away. It was for me, for me it was good to get away for three weeks, to step back from the hectic pace of ministry, from being engaged in the work day in and day out, for me to take a step back and get a big picture. For me, with Cornerstone, it was really good. It's so easy, is it not, for us to get distracted. So easy. There's a tendency for us to lose sight on the big picture. Uh, lose sight of the goal. Forget the big picture of ministry. What we are called to do and how we are to accomplish our goals. So, while we're in between two books, between study of books, thought it was a good time for us to be reminded on the basics of ministry, by looking at Paul's philosophy of ministry here in Colossians 1, 28 and 29. In these two brief verses, we find Paul's philosophy of ministry. Literally, it's, it's essentially a biblical philosophy of ministry. We see Paul's purpose, Paul's plan, the price that Paul paid, and the power with which Paul conducted and carried out his ministry. The purpose is orthodoxy and orthopraxy. I'll define those terms later. Orthodoxy and orthopraxy. The goal of biblical ministry is not to get people to attend the church. It's not get them to be baptized and tithe every month. That's, those are not the goals of the church. The goal of biblical ministry found in the second, latter part of verse 28 that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That we may present everyone mature in Christ. There is that word, henna word again. It's a henna clause. That, so that, in order that. Telling us that this is the purpose of all biblical ministries. To present everyone mature in Christ. Mature means complete maturity. Opposite of immature, opposite of childish faith. We are not to be lulled into a low standard in our purpose of ministry, where we are satisfied with immature believers, half-hearted, compromising uh, Christians. We are reminded by this verse that we are not, as a church, in the retail business. You are not our customers. We are not selling you anything. You are not buying anything at church. 
No, the church of Jesus Christ, we are in the manufacturing business. We are to produce godly, mature, completely mature men and women of Christ. We are, in another way to look at it, a military school. A place where we train, equip, and raise up soldiers for Jesus Christ. So our goal is again, orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Ortho is a Greek word straight, meaning right, correct. Doxy is doctrine. So the foundation of ministry is orthodoxy. We want to equip and train by teaching believers orthodox Christian doctrine, correct doctrine. Right doctrine is the foundation of our faith, but it does not end there. We must move on to orthopraxy. Straight, right, correct, practice. We do not want just people to have right doctrine and have it end there. They must progress to putting that doctrine into practice. Putting the knowledge of Christ, knowledge of scriptures and living it out that is the goal of true biblical ministry. I was quite encouraged by our Zenga posts and report from the OC team. I was very encouraged by Edison's post in his Zenga. I think he said it best. Um, he said, quote, I was taught so much and challenged so much by OC team. I couldn't dream of approaching all, mall employees while they were working to share the gospel with them seeing brothers and sisters boldly proclaiming the truth and getting back up each time uh, was priceless. However, the biggest lesson was on Sunday night when I learned that it is much easier to knock on hundred doors than to shepherd my family and discipline my children. Please pray for me as I need to do both 24-7, 365. The mission to my family is not a week-long commitment. Rather, I am joyful that it is never-ending. That's uh, Paul's heart. The goal is not just to get people to attend church. The goal is not to get people to understand and embrace right doctrine. The goal is not just to get people to do ministry and go out knocking on doors with the gospel. The goal goes beyond that. To live out the Christian life at home, to live out the Christian life in the private areas of your life, to grow in character, grow in godliness, grow in faith in and every way. And this is right. It's easier to go and knock a hundred doors. It's harder to be home, shepherd your wife, love your children, and practice true godliness at home. That is Paul's heart to present everyone mature in Christ. And note that word everyone occurs four times in those two verses. Paul's heart was to present everyone mature in Christ. Not most, not a majority, not some, not few. He's not content with that. His goal, rightfully so for all of us as well, is to present everyone mature in Christ. I just finished volume one 
of Martin Lloyd-Jones' biography by Ian Murray. It's like 450 pages. And there's volume 2, which is even longer. I benefited from it um, quite immensely. Uh, it ended with this uh, interaction between G. Campbell Morgan and Martin Lloyd-Jones. G. Campbell Morgan was a senior pastor at Westminster Chapel for over 30 years. A church attended by over 2,000 people on Sunday mornings. After about five years at that church, he began a Friday night Bible institute and opened to everybody. And it was fully attended. Over 300 people came out every Friday night to study the Bible for discipleship on Friday nights for 30 years. Even after he retired on sun, from Sunday worship and gave that responsibility over to D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he continued that ministry on Friday nights until he died. He personally handpicked Martin Lloyd-Jones to take over the pulpit at Westminster Chapel. And then they were talking about that Friday night Bible Institute. And Martin Lloyd-Jones was saying how impressed he was, how encouraged he was by the ministry that's going on on Friday nights. And Campbell Morgan responded, I regret ever starting that school. If I had to do it over again, I would not begin that Friday night Bible Institute open to the whole church. Martin Lloyd-Jones was shocked. Why? It's so effective. It's equipping the church. Believers are growing. Believers are going out ministering. And Morgan replied, that has created a church within a church. We have 2,000 people on Sundays and they have no affiliation, no commitment to the body and a real half-hearted commitment to Christ. He was telling them how when they had a congregational vote to install Martin Lloyd-Jones, the senior pastor, 311 people voted, came out to vote for the, their new pastor, showing that they had 1,700 church attenders, but only 300 believers were maturing in Christ. Therefore, he regretted ever starting that church-wide discipleship program. This is precisely why we have no discipleship program at Cornerstone Bible Church. I get questions like this quite often by visitors, newcomers, even phone calls. And they ask about Cornerstone. They ask about our ministries. And what they ask me, do you have a discipleship program at Cornerstone Bible Church? My response is no. We don't have a two-tier program for the church where some believers, we try to present them mature in Christ. Other believers, we relegate them to a lower standard where we're happy with them just coming to church. We're happy if they uh, visit a flock once in a while. We're happy if they uh, participate in one another's. The biblical philosophy is to present every single believer mature in Christ. Everybody is exhorted, encouraged to participate in Sunday worship, small group Bible study, serving the church, practicing the one another's, evangelizing the lost, being shepherded by leaders. These are practices not just for super-Christians or some Christians. These are the practices of Christians. Discipleship is for everyone. Leadership training is for the few, but discipleship is for everyone. Now the question that is raised is why? Why must we strive to present ourselves and our people completely mature in Christ? Because Paul understood that he was not presenting them to a denomination. 
He was not presenting them to a group of people or to some senior pastor. He understood that the customer, the one evaluating the quality of these believers, is God himself and his son, Jesus Christ. He understood one day he would present the church to God and be evaluated by God himself. Go, go up a few verses to verses 21 and 22 of chapter 1, Colossians. Colossians 1, 21, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Who is that him? It's God himself. Christ has reconciled you. Christ has given himself to the cross in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach before God. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20, Paul said, What is our hope, joy, or crown of boasting before our Lord at his coming? Is it not you? You are glory and joy. Second Corinthians 11.2 Paul, talking to this rebellious, uh, sin-riddled church, he said to them, I feel a divine jealousy for you, for I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5.25-27 Paul's talking about Christ's love for the church. How Christ gave Himself up for her, that He might sanctify the church, cleansing her by the washing of water with the Word. Why? So that He might present the church to Himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Paul was engaged in shepherding, engaged in prayer, engaged in teaching of the Word to His people, to present to them, mature in Christ, because he understood one day he would present the church to God and Jesus Christ Himself. That God was the one he was seeking to satisfy, seeking to please. That is why complete maturity of everyone was the goal. How was Paul going to accomplish this? What was his strategy? What was his plan? We find this plan in verse 28a. Him we proclaim. Now ESV here has it right. Because in the Greek, the first position is given to Christ. We are not proclaiming a philosophy. We are not proclaiming an idea. We are not proclaiming religion or tradition or thoughts of men. We are proclaiming Jesus Christ. This is how believers mature in Christ. This is how believers grow. This is how they are sanctified. By the word of truth, your word is truth. And Christ is the word of God, the logos of God. Therefore, Paul resolved to know nothing while he was with the church, except Christ and Him crucified. And so when he stood before the church, 
His resolution was to proclaim Jesus Christ because this is the only hope for believers to mature in their faith. Note that he was not a lone ranger in this ministry. He said, we proclaim. The scriptures clearly support team ministry, team leadership. It is not one man doing all the work while everyone receives the ministry. It is leaders locked in arms together doing this work of teaching, warning, shepherding, proclaiming, admonishing all for the maturation of believers. We do it together, Jesus and us, no individuals. It is a team effort. The work of presenting everyone mature in Christ is so monumental, so difficult, that no one man can accomplish it in the church. It requires a team. I am not the senior pastor of Cornerstone. I am not the pastor. I am not the preacher. I am not the leader. I am one of the preachers, one of the shepherds, one of the servant leaders, because we do it together, and what do we do? We proclaim. This is Paul's catalytic plan to see that every man is perfect in Christ. And I love this. Caruso, preaching. He relies on the foolishness of preaching. Admonishing believers. Nutheo, warning them. Didasco, teaching them the word of God. It is, to, it is by proclaiming Christ, warning against error, teaching what is right, that is Paul's strategy and therefore our strategy to present everyone, present all of you mature in Christ. Now we understand the foolishness of preaching, that people do not want to hear about Christ People do not want to hear God's word, let alone hear God's word preached. Preaching today is synonymous with arrogant and dogmatic work reserved only for those who are, are fundamentalists, who are brainwashed by the scriptures. Despising preachers and preaching is nothing new. A century and a half ago, the Victorian novelist Anthony Trollope expressed his contempt of preaching in one of his books. He said, there is perhaps no greater hardship at present inflicted on mankind in civilized and free countries than the necessity of hearing and listening to sermons. This is the greatest hardship inflicted on mankind today, he said. Listening to sermons. No one but a preaching clergyman has the power to compel an audience to sit silent and be tormented. He is the bore of the age, the nightmare that disturbs our Sunday's rest, the demon that overloads our religion and makes God's service distasteful. distasteful. Cholop's assessment, I am certain, continues to this day. Maybe by some of you. But Paul was committed to preaching Christ. Because he understood it is by preaching the gospel that sinful men are saved and it is by preaching the gospel that sinful men are sanctified. 
That is why believers pursue, who pursue and delight in holiness, they love preaching. They love God's word preached. Because they understood, they understand that God sanctifies His people by the word of God. By the word of God. That is the commission given to all believers. Mark 3.14, He appointed twelve so that they might be with Him and He might send them out to preach. Those two go hand in hand. Being with Christ and being equipped by Him, being commissioned by Him to go out and to preach God's Word. That was Paul's plan and that is our plan. The price that must be paid is in verse 29. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. The first word, uh, toil, is the idea of labor. The Greek word, kopiao. It's working to the point of exhaustion. The second word, struggling, is the Greek word, agonizomai, from where we get the word agony. Paul said it is labor. It is agony to do the work of the ministry so that men and women might grow in Christ. Now thinking about this, I think there are, Paul is referring to two things here. He, I don't think he's pointing to the physical difficulty of ministry, the physical difficulties of travel, the physical discomforts of living in a foreign land, and uh, the rigors, physical rigors of ministering in the church. I think he's talking about the spiritual agony. The spiritual toil. First of all, the spiritual toil of caring for people. Now, teaching is easy. Teaching people is hard. Preaching is simple. But preaching to people, that's the challenge. Just writing out warnings, not too difficult. But warning people because you love them, because you care for them, that is labor. That is agonizing. Paul spoke of that in St. Corinthians, how he has the daily concern for churches. Every day, his heart was weighed down by caring for believers. And the second labor, second agony is most definitely uh, preaching and teaching. Preaching and teaching the Word of God for mortal souls is an impossible task. Richard Baxter said, the public preaching of the word requires greater skill, especially greater life and zeal than any of us bring to it. It is no small matter to stand up in the face of a congregation and deliver a message of salvation or condemnation in the name of our Redeemer. It is no small matter. John Stott said, The pulpit is a perilous place for any child of Adam to occupy. There are some who think that preaching and ministry is easy. Here is Martin Lloyd-Jones' response to that kind of sentiment. He said, It seems to be the case that the greater the preacher, the more hesitant he has generally been to preach. A man who feels that he is competent 
and that he can do this easily and rushes to preach without any sense of fear or trembling or any hesitation whatsoever is a man who is proclaiming that he has never been called to be a preacher. The man who is called by God is a man who realizes what he is called to do and he so realizes the awfulness of the task that he shrinks from it. Men who are called to lead in the church, to preach God's word, to shepherd the saints, we shrink from the task because we sense the gravity, the sheer awfulness of the task of representing God and caring for God's people. And the last thing I want to do is misrepresent God. The last thing I want to do is be God's mouthpiece and speak presumptuously and say what God did not intend. The last thing I want to do is be a wolf in sheep's clothing and care for a flock that's under God's care and harm a child of Christ, a child of God. Therefore, it is labor. It is agony. Here we have the purpose, plan, and price, but also the power. Verse 29, For this I toil, struggling not with all my strength, not with all my energy, not with all my power, struggling with all His energeo, that He works dunamis, within me. The energy that is like dynamite within me, that is a source of strength with which I struggle. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15.10 By the grace of God I am what I am. I work harder than any of them, but it's not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter 4.11 if anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Final one, 2 Corinthians 9.8 And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you are bound in every good work. God will strengthen us for every good work that He has prepared for us in advance to do. And that was the source of Paul's confidence. And that is the source of our confidence. To close our time, three closing thoughts that I want to leave, leave with you, share with you. First of all, in light of the fact that a Christian cannot grow apart from correct doctrine, that Christian maturity never results from conversion alone. Let me repeat that. Christian maturity never results in conversion alone. That a deep, thorough, and comprehensive knowledge and understanding of God's Word always precede Christian maturity. In light of these truths, I exhort the husbands, fathers, flock shepherds, ministry leaders, pastors and elders exhort you in light of this to commit to a rigorous study of the Word of God. 
and out of the fact that maturity never results from conversion alone, that the Holy Spirit will not work apart from the Word of God, that believers cannot be sanctified apart from a, a deep, comprehensive knowledge and understanding of the truth of God's Word. As leaders, commit yourself to a disciplined study of the Word of God. If you will not study God's Word for yourself, will you have love and compassion for your wife? Will you have compassion for your children? Will you care for the souls of those that are under your care as ministry leaders, as shepherds, as Bible study leaders? Out of love for them, will you devote your time, energy, to studying God's Word, sacrificing entertainment, sacrificing civilian affairs, sports, fun, just to study the Word of God. Jonathan Edwards was known to study and pray 13 hours a day, every day, for an effective ministry, home, church, and the world. You cannot bypass time investing in deep study of God's Word. There are no shortcuts. You have to spend time in the Word for you to understand God's Word, for you to grow in holiness so that you might help others under your care to grow in holiness. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, you'll always find that the men whom God has used most have been those who have studied most, known their scripture best, and given time for preparation. John Piper said, Brothers, fight for your life. The greatest pressure on us today is to be productive managers, but the need of the church, and I would add the need of your families, is for prayerful, spiritual poets. If you want to stay, stay alive to what is great, and glorious, and beautiful, and eternal, you must fight for your time to study God's Word. You must fight for it. You must say no to other good things. That you might say yes to putting in time in the Word of God. Secondly, again for the leaders of the church, for pastors, shepherds, for elders, do you agonize over believers that are under your care? Do you have daily concern for their souls? Do you care for them as you care for your own children? Are you caring for everyone, every believer? Is your goal a biblical goal, presenting them mature in Christ? Or are you, it's the daycare worker? Are you a hired hand? Are you just putting in time, filling a position, just upholding a title? Or are you a good under-shepherd of Christ, laboring and agonizing to present a believer mature in Christ? Where you love them so much, you'll proclaim them the Word of God, teach them the truth, and warn them, correct them, and rebuke them. When I see a believer, even in our church, they have a blind spot, they have sin in their lives, 
they have a defect in their character. And I say, how does nobody love that person? Will someone love his soul? Will someone care for his heart? It's so sad. No one loves that believer because no one is warning them. No one cares enough to agonize for their Christian faith, to confront them graciously, humbly, lovingly, so that they might be mature in Christ. Leaders, would you do that? Would you fill that role, God-given role, to be faithful shepherds to God's people? Thirdly, knowing this to the church, pray for your pastors. Pray for your shepherds, elders, your small group leaders. Pray for your husbands. Pray for your fathers. All the women of this church, this week, will you pray for the men of our church? Will you pray for the men? Because if not now, in the near future, one day they will be pastors of the home. Who will be the leaders of our church, the men of our church? Will you pray for the men so that we might together proclaim Christ together, that we might present to God mature men and women all for His glory. Let's pray. Father, as we consider first, as we consider Colossians 1, 20 and 29, we are faced with a daunting task. We want to um, lift our hands and say it's impossible. We are not able. It is too difficult. The challenge is too great. But Lord, help us to fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, would you strengthen and encourage the shepherds to know that you are the good shepherd and that you care for us as we care for others, that you are shepherding, praying, equipping and teaching us as we work with you to do so in the church. So Lord, help us to reform our philosophy of ministry to cut away um, worldly goals, worldly ambitions, worldly aspirations here in the church that we might aspire to full maturity and call others to the same standard, knowing that one day we will present before you every single believer under our care and present them to you and you will evaluate our efforts, you will evaluate our, our doctrine, our care, and our ministry, and that at that time, each will receive praise from you. Lord, knowing that time draws near, help us, O oh Lord, to put our hands to the plow and be about the Father's business. We thank you for the grace that you've granted to all of us in the past several weeks. Help us to know that the race has just begun. There's, there's still much work to be done. Help us to uh, run with perseverance 
the race that is marked out for each of us, and the race that is marked out for our church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.